If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to the book of Jude, and I'll read a few verses and we'll begin. Jude chapter 1, I'm going to read in the King James, verse 20 down to verse 23. And the Word of God says in Jude chapter 1, and in verse 20, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm going to take this time now and pause and pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we come this morning to your throne of grace in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for the testimonies we've heard, for the message here this morning, that you will bless the words of your spirit, Lord, that you will encourage us, that you will empower, that you will just give us, Lord, the power we need to go forward and to be lights in a fallen world. For the Bible says we are to let our light shine, that men may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Allen in his absence and for his leadership over the church. And we pray, Lord, that you just now take this time, um, quiet our hearts and mind, and prepare us, Lord, for the truth of the word of God. This we do pray by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message, again, is Seven Steps of Hope. hope I can make it through this in a half an hour. I got my timer here. Uh, this is difficult for me. Uh, one of my responsibilities at PGM is to teach a class each day from three to four. And so my mind is wired towards teaching for an hour. So if I go, and so that won't happen today. You can, don't get nervous. It won't be an hour. I got my timer right here. And so we'll be out. I got about 30 minutes. So I'm going to try my best to get through this in a half an hour. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, of course, the text is from June. There are several themes in this book. Uh, one of the themes um, of the book of Jude is to contend for the faith. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you were ever part of an organized sports team? Okay, we got about four athletes in here. Okay, okay even grade school, even if it was fifth grade. I don't care. Okay, raise your hand. I want to see you. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, something. Okay, we got a few. How many of you were actually good at sports? Okay, I want to see who was humble. All the hands are still up. Okay. I, I tricked you with that one, amen. You're supposed to put your hand down, amen. Um, but I, um, I had the opportunity growing up like a lot of young men to play a lot of sports. In fact, my whole life. Football, wrestling, baseball, you name it. Running track, um, basketball and Bible college. And my wife also was very athletic. And I believe it or not, she played a lot. She was able to run track and she um, would get rewards in college for spiking and whatnot and playing volleyball. So you got a word for that, for the best spiker. So don't let, don't let Leah fool you, amen. She has a competitive side to her. In fact, when we were dating, we were playing basketball one time. I was, wasn't taking her serious. You know, it was a girl. Y'all wasn't taking her serious. And, and <laughs> amen. And she threw the ball right between my legs and scored. And she was laughing and laughing and laughing about that, amen. And, but I still remember that when we were dating. And so um, I personally love playing sports growing up. You know, the, I'm very competitive. That's just the way I am. I hate to lose. And the guys, the mission, get a kick out of that when we're playing basketball. I'll play and play until I finally win. And so... Um, this idea of contending for the faith is the same energy, the same um, commitment, discipline that an athlete puts into winning an organized sports game. Um, anyone knows anything about sports, anyone who's a very elite athlete, they work very hard. They're up four or five in the morning, they're training for four or five hours a day. They're very committed to contending for that particular sport, whatever it may be. 
And so we should have the same commitment to our faith. Um, we are in a battle. You know, there are many words we can use to describe the Christian faith, but one word I want to use today is we are in a real spiritual war. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And, and working at PGM, I have a chance to see it realistically every single day. The reality of evil spirits as well as the power of God's spirit and that wrestling match that goes on each and every day. His focus also in this book is to um, warn the believers to overcome the sin of apostasy. Now, apostasy is someone turning from God who actually knows God. So it's very possible to be saved, to know Christ, and to turn away from him. And that is happening so much today. There are so many distractions out in the world that are turning believers away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are commanded by God to contend for our faith. Why is the message on hope so important? The truth is there are so many people today in our country who do not have hope. And there may be some here even today in church. Um, for example, on average, there are 123 suicides per day in America. Every single day, 123 people are taking their lives. Nearly 21 million Americans, 12 years of age and older, have a substance abuse problem. And I personally believe it's a lot more than that, to be honest. The body images that so many women, young women in particular, face. Body images that creates depression, eating disorders, and low self-esteem. The gun violence that's here in Chicago, where hundreds if not thousands of people lose their lives every single day. And many of these people are casualties of war. They have absolutely nothing to do with what happened. And so one in particular was my cousin named Gary. My cousin Gary Lee was shot to death at the age of 18. This happened when I was 18, about, well, that was 16 years ago, something like that. And fortunately, when my cousin was shot to death, he, he, he lost his life, and he, on the street, we hung, out on, we hung out at every single day. I'm talking about this is my, one of my best friends. We were in the same area every day. And when he, when he died, I happened to be in prison at the time. And uh, I, believe, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in divine providence. God was sparing my life. And I believe God allowed me to be in prison at that time to save me from um, the plan Satan had for me. And so I know for a fact we're all grateful to be alive, but I'm especially grateful to be here today. I know Satan was trying to take me out a long time ago. And so I praise God for his grace in my life. But the truth is here today, we need hope. And so my first point today is that as believers in Christ, we are called by God to build up our faith. Now, true faith rests upon the character of God. True faith rests upon the character of God and acts no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. That's a quote from A.W. Tozer. So my faith is built on the reality that God can't lie. He has all powerful. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Uh, in other words, our faith is in a never-changing God who never gets weary, Psalms 121 and verse 4, and a God who keeps his word, Isaiah 55 and verse 11. Our faith here is referred to as a holy faith. And so as a believer in Christ, our faith should lead us to live a righteous lifestyle. Okay, I got about 40 minutes when I said that. You cannot convince me you have faith in God and you continue to gossip. You should have said amen. I'm going to come for you now. You continue to gossip, you continue to curse, you continue to view pornography, and you tell me you have faith in Jesus Christ? So the Bible calls our faith a holy faith. 
So I'm not saying we're called to be perfect. No one's perfect. I understand that. That's the first thing people say. Pastor, no one can be perfect. I get that. I didn't say that. No one's perfect, but holy. No one's perfect, but God, but we can be righteous. No one is sinless, but we can sin less and less and less. We can't be sinless, but we can get better each day. The Bible says we are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there should be conviction. As a believer in Christ, you just should not feel comfortable doing certain things. You should not feel comfortable um, having a gossip session for half an hour and then turn into a prayer meeting. I mean, come on. I've seen that. You know, hey, come on, let's be honest. I've seen that happen. I've, been, I've had the chance to work in ministry, and working in ministry, you see that Christians have an old nature too. That's the reality. And, and we have to be careful that we don't um, dishonor God with our lifestyles. The Bible calls it in Joshua 3 and 5, consecration. This is one of my favorite verses on this particular teaching. Joshua 3 and 5 says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Very simple. In other words, set yourself apart for God. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. So the truth is, if I want God, if I desire for God to use me, the prerequisite is that I live right. That's the basic foundation. If I want to be used by God, God has a habit of using clean vessels. And so if we want God to do great things with us, we must be holy. We must be righteous. We must grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And many times this growth happens alone in your private prayer closet, in your private devotion time. Um, Nikola Tesla, who was an inventor who I think is um, known for the alternating, alternating current that he invented, he said this about being alone, Nikola Tesla. He says, be alone. This is the secret of invention. Be alone. That is when great ideas are born. And I encourage all of us each day to have some alone time with God. Uh, we have to go past five minutes. Amen, somebody. We, we, we will spend hours watching TV. Ladies, I don't have nothing against this. It's a good thing. You will spend hours getting your hair done. I know my wife does it. Come on. Say amen, ladies. We will spend hours on everything else. But when it comes to God, it almost kills us to spend some time in the Bible. Why is that? And so the problem is you as well as I, we still struggle with learning how to love God more than we love ourselves. That's our biggest problem. We love ourselves. Let's be honest. Okay, I love myself since you don't. Amen, somebody. We love ourselves. And our struggle is how do I learn how to love God more than me? And that comes through spending time with God. And so the first point is clear. We are called by God to build up our faith. Secondly, we are called to pray in the Holy Ghost. This is a step of faith, to pray in the Spirit. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and a door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So if you think about prayer, Prayer, prayer to me is truly, it's acknowledging the true source of everything. Prayer is casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. Prayer is coming boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and to find grace in the time of need, which in my opinion is every day. So prayer is having a connection to God. 
Um, A.B. Simpson says that prayer is the link that connects us to God. Uh, one of my friends in ministry, Pastor Ivan, who has a church out in Berwyn, Ivan has a prayer life. And it seems like whatever Ivan prays for, it kind of has a way of happening. Ivan can pray for a camera. Someone give him one before you know it. Amen. I've seen it happen. Amen. Why, why is that? It is, it is somehow Ivan has learned how to connect to God. He, he's made it a habit to pray and to seek God's face. Gandhi says that prayer is the key of the morning and the boat of the evening. Prayer is the key of the morning and the boat of the evening. I want to encourage you before you go to work, you should pray. Uh, it's, it's, I would, if, especially if you're a school teacher working with kids every day, you should pray. Amen. Uh, uh, amen. You should be in prayer and fasting too for that matter. Amen. Um, I, I had the opportunity for two years. Uh, my first job when I was ordained in 2009, I had the opportunity and privilege and challenge, to be honest, of working in a Christian school for two years. And, and let me tell you, if you think that is easy, try it. Amen. I was in the school every day from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., two years of that. That's hard work. I remember when I was, because the, the college I went to, was everything was connected. There was a print shop there, Christian school. The college was all on the same um, campus location. And I remember when I was working in the print shop, I would walk by the, the school teachers and think they had it so easy. That was just my thinking. Not knowing God was going to have me there the next year. And I got there, and I said, I constantly... Kids, I mean, these are little kids, too, age 6 to 12, and they were just constantly all day, pass person, pass person. Okay, what, 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 what next, right? It's constantly asking questions, constantly getting out of their seats, constantly. It was a challenge. And I praise God for that. I learned so much from that experience about ministry. It's very demanding. And so I praise God for those who have been called. That's not my calling, by the way. For those who are called to that, amen, that was, a, that was, a, that was a, um, training for me. That's what it was, amen. But for those who are called to that, God bless you. Amen. And so we have to pray for the strength we need to complete the task God has given to us. Pray, prayers, excuse me, that um, turn the plagues away from God's people, just as it did in the days of Moses. A prayer life that caused the fire of God to fall down, as it did in the days of Elijah. Now, we may not see literal fire, but there are several practical applications to this principle. Fire from heaven it's God providing the wisdom you need to raise your family in a fallen world. Modern-day fire from heaven is the financial blessings that sometimes come out of nowhere for those who are in Bible college. We have several Bible college students here today. And let me tell you, I know how that is. It's, it's challenging. Sometimes you don't know how you're going to pay your school bill. But you have to trust God and pray until the fire falls. The strength you need to begin in a new journey. There may be some here today who have the vision to start their own business or whatever the case may be. Prayer is the key. The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. So pray in the spirit. The third point, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the and the love of God. And I got to warn you, this one's going to be a doozy. It is so easy to, so before I say this, just say amen so you don't tell on yourself. Because when you get quiet, you're telling on yourself. Amen. So say amen. Just a fake man fool. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. 
It's easy to become bitter. Amen. Don't, don't get holy now, amen. It's easy to become mean-spirited, to hold on to unforgiveness. Let's be honest. We live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, people hurt you. Okay, people hurt me. Maybe not you guys. It's just, this is just my experience. So God says to you and to me, you keep yourself in the love of God. So you're telling me, God, I got to be kind when people are mean? You're telling me I have to forgive when others won't forgive me? Yes, that's what he's saying. And it's kind of ironic that this is on the front of the bulletin. Keep yourself in love of God. Now, in our country right now, there are a number of people on both sides who are not keeping themselves in love of God. Amen. There is strife. Come on, there is hatred. Here, go and say amen. So don't know it's you. Say amen. There is a bias, and there is a lot of um, just hatred that is manifest in a number of ways, each and every day. And so God commands the believers, you and I. He's saying, in essence, you don't do that. You be kind anyway. You forgive anyway. You let your light shine so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. No one can build up their faith and pray in the Spirit and consistently be evil. You cannot convince me you have been building up your faith, you have been praying daily, and you still gossip. You have a hatred for your own family. Okay. But you're following God? How? See, to, to me, the Bible says this, how can a man say he loves God who he has not seen and hate his brother who he has seen? I don't care how much Bible you know. Listen, I've been in Bible college. That don't mean nothing if you don't love people. It means zero. Are you kind? Are you patient with people? Do you forgive? Do you just speak? Some people won't even speak. Can you say hi? Good morning. Amen. Let's, let's get to the basics. Because we get so advanced, and we cannot even do the basics as believers. How you treat people says everything about your Christianity. Now, a great example of this, there are many in the Word of God, of course, but a great example, one of my favorite examples of this principle, is Joseph from the book of Genesis. Joseph was someone who had a lot of reasons to be bitter, didn't he? His own brother sold him to slavery, can you imagine that? 17 years of age, I couldn't imagine. 17 years of age, he's in a foreign country. 13 years, he lived as a prisoner and a slave. And somehow, Joseph, through all of that, kept himself in love with God. That's a miracle. He continued to be kind. Now, he was in prison for a crime he did not commit, and the Bible says there were two men in there who were looking sad. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm in prison, I don't know if, I'm, if I care about you or not. Come on, somebody, be honest. Amen. I'm in jail. I can't help you. But that wasn't Joseph. While he was suffering himself, he had enough love of God in his heart to pray for those two men, to interpret their vision, and because he did that, Pharaoh called for him. So God will sometimes use your suffering to help you minister to others. Joseph had the ability to minister to people beyond his own immediate care. And what we need here today in our country is men and women of faith who will minister to others in spite of their trials, in spite of their circumstances, and in spite of their own mistreatment. 
The Bible says in Hebrews 6 and verse 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Every task you complete for Christ, every bulletin you pass out, every song you sing, every child you watch in a nursery, every message that's preached, every phone call you make, all who serve in an audio team, everything you do for Christ will one day be rewarded. This life shall soon pass, and only what's done for Christ will truly last. You have to tell yourself that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, one of my favorite verses, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What, what does that mean? You're serving God. Because when you're serving God, you're serving people. And you're serving people who sometimes quickly forget what you've done for them. Amen, somebody. You know, I've been on staff at Pacific Guard Mission close to 10 years. And there have been a lot of great days there. There have been a lot of blessings. There have been a lot of breakthroughs. But let me tell you, there were some tough days. Come on, somebody. It's a rough crowd. Let's be honest. Eight men, 300 men. They'll curse you out. Come on, they'll threaten you. Why put up with that every day? Amen. The Bible says to keep yourself in love of God. And so in serving God, you're sometimes called to a difficult group of people. Whether that be me at PGM or you in a schoolroom or at work or wherever God has called you, God has called you to be a light in that particular area. Here's what the Bible says about that. God has not left himself without a witness. Amen, somebody. That means to me that God has someone posted up everywhere. And it just so happened, maybe you're God's witness at your work. You're God's witness in your family. Wherever you may be, you are God's example to that particular group of people. And the only way you can do that is if you keep yourself in the love of God. Now, for all of you who are not saying amen, let me give you a long list of those who didn't do this. You should have said amen. Here's the bad news. Here are all the people who did not keep themselves in the love of God. Now, listen, listen to this list. You don't want to follow them. The demons. Okay? Should have said amen. They did not keep themselves in the love of God. They started off good, right? Ended bad. How about the people in Sodom and Gomorrah? They did not keep themselves in the love of God. Cain, first murderer in human history, did not keep himself in God's love. These are all found in the book of Jude, by the way. The fallen angels, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Cain, Korah, who rebelled against Moses. That's always a bad thing, by the way, young people. Don't rebel against your authority. Amen. Listen to me. Listen to me from, from my own experience. Listen to your parents. I'm talking to you. Listen to your school teachers. Respect your superiors. Don't think you know everything at 15. You end up like me in trouble. Come on. You need to respect those who are over you. The Bible always teaches to honor your authority. I'll tell you from my first experience, rebellion never turns out good for you. Never. It always turns out bad. Listen to me and listen to Korah. Doesn't end good for you. Balaam, who was a prophet for profit, he did not keep himself in the love of God. So God says to you and I, when you don't apply this principle, this is your legacy. Korah, Cain, Balaam, demons. Okay, God, you got me. I don't want to be like none of them. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Come on. That's a bad list. Fourthly, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is simply referring to the return of Christ. We are looking forward, or should be looking forward, to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man returns. So as a believer in Christ, we believe, I believe, Jesus can come back at any moment. Amen. And, and that's to, that should encourage you. That should motivate you to live a certain way. If you really believe Jesus can come back today, wouldn't that change your day? Amen. Wouldn't that change your whole week, your whole attitude? And so God says to you and I, uh, a step we can take, this is a step of hope, look forward to Jesus coming back. I had an opportunity to take a class in, uh, on the book of Matthew recently for school. And I had to write a paper, it was about a 10, 14-page paper on Matthew 24. And in that chapter, it talks about several um, characteristics of the present age and signs of the last days, um, such as false teachers, the wars, the famines, pestilence, earthquakes, um, false prophets like Jim Jones and others, right? Um, by the way, when you don't know the Bible, when you don't build your faith up, you don't pray in the spirit, you cannot discern a false teacher from a real teacher. And there are so many people who are nice, kind, intelligent people who have been deceived by false teachers. So it's important that we know what the Word of God says for ourselves. Martyrs of the faith. And the Bible says, in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. And isn't that happen? It seems like people get meaner day by day, doesn't it? Amen, somebody. Uh, you, you, can, you, can, you can feel it out in public, out in society. You know, sometimes when I'm at PGM, you're kind of hidden from all of that. But when you go out into the public, you realize, whoa, there's, there's a lot of hate there. Uh, the, the way, and sometimes it's not even what people say. It's the way they look at you. Come on. You know, because, you know, body language is just that. It's body language. You get it. You feel that vibe. You, you see that hatred. Amen. You can learn a lot from people, by the way, by their, their looking. If you can't look me in the eyes, first of all, to me, that's always a bad sign. Okay, if you can't look at me, what's wrong with you? Okay. Amen? If you can't look me in the eye by the eyeball, what is, what's, what's, what's going on with you? So there's a lot you can pick up by someone's voice tone. Come on. I learned this in communication class. Your voice tone, your body language is communicating a lot more than your words are. So you feel that hatred. You feel that judgment. And so the Bible says to you and I, uh, we have to look forward to Jesus returning in the midst of all of that. We have to look forward to the um, return of Christ. The return of Christ is the hope of the believer, that God is in control and that he is faithful to his promise. In his first coming, Jesus came as a suffering servant. In his second coming, he will return as a conquering king. He arrived to earth as a humble baby, but he will return with the army of heaven by his side. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Heaven, and then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And so I'm looking forward to the return of Christ. Point number five, and this is very important. Have compassion, make a difference. Clear, clear message. If you have compassion, you will make a difference. This world is full of mean people. So if you're kind, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Amen? Am I telling the truth? Some of you can't say amen because you're doing it. Amen? 
when you are kind, you will stick out like a sore thumb. So the Bible says have compassion, especially in our culture right now. There are not a lot of compassionate people. There are a lot of judgmental people. Go and say man, so I don't think it's you. There are a lot of biased people. There is a lot of animosity and hatred. So when you're kind in the midst of that type of society, God can really use you. So the Bible says be compassionate. Make a difference. Let your light shine. You see how this, this builds upon each point? If you're building up your faith, if you are praying in the spirit, you're keeping yourself in the love of God, you're looking forward to the return of Jesus, you will by default make a difference. If you're doing all of this, you're praying, you're serving, you have love in your heart, God is going to use you. That ought to give you some hope. You can make a difference. Nelson Mandela said this, we can change the world and make it a better place. It is in your hands to make a difference. We must become the change that we want to see in the world. That's Gandhi. Powerful quote. Because if anything like me, you, you sometimes see things and say, you know what, well, I wish it was different. Well, maybe you should be the one to do it. Amen? That convicted me. We always say something's not right. Well, if you can see it so clearly, maybe God's calling you to do something about it. So we are called by, so in other words, you must have faith that God can use you to make a difference. If Satan has convinced you God can use you, you cannot make a difference. But you have to believe that God can empower you. He can lead you, and that one person, one man, can make a difference. One person can make a difference, and everyone should try. That is JFK, John F. Kennedy. One person can make a difference, and every person should try. Point number six. Others say with fear, pull them out of the fire. Now, the Greek word here for pull means to seize, to snatch, right? This is a, 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 um, a, it's very urgent. We have to share our faith, as the group here did today. I can't think of the name of the group right now. I've drawn a blank. Huh? Foundations. They're out there snatching people out of the fire. God is using them to share the gospel message, and I praise God for those who have that heart. As, as Tim wants to go door to door and witness and share his faith, we are called to be soul winners. Amen. We are called to share the gospel of Christ. I, I praise God for the, the pastor who, um, who ordained me 10 years ago, who I worked under for many years. He was old school. And if you wanted to be a preacher, you had to go past all tracks first. That was his thing. If you want to preach in the church, start out there in the world. If you want to share your faith, if you want to evangelize, then how can you preach the word of God? And so for years, we had to go door to door and pass our tracts and share the gospel. What were we doing? What are we doing here right now at the church? You are literally saving some, pulling them out of the fire. Now, of course, you know, like I know, most people don't want to hear it. That's the sad reality. But if you talk to 50 people and one gets saved, praise God. If you talk to 100 people and two get saved, praise God. You have been used by God to snatch someone out of the fire. That was someone who was on their way to hell, and God used you to give them the gospel of Christ. We are called by God to snatch people out of the fire. John Wesley says this, um, watch over yourself as well as others, and give them such help as their various needs require. He says, some snatch with a swift and strong hand. That was me. You couldn't be, to, you know, you had to snatch me out of the fire. Amen. Some people, you got to be kind and kind of beat around the bush. I get that. Uh, I'm, I'm a straight shooter. You have to tell me straight. Amen. Get yourself together. Amen. 
I praise God for the men at PGM, Pastor Phil and Pastor Hagerman. They were, they were straight up. Get right with God. I needed that. But, but however, there are some who can't receive that, and I get that. There are others you have to be a little more um, delicate, I guess. Amen? Compassionate. And I understand that. We're all wired differently. But he's saying here, whatever it takes, you use the wisdom. There are some you have to snatch out, and there are some you have to have compassion on. And it takes discernment from the Spirit to know this between the two. I was one person who had to snatch me out. Compassion, I would have blew you off. I'm sorry, I'm just being honest. I needed a strong warning from God's word, get right with God. And so what am I saying? We need wisdom to discern who needs to be snatched out of the fire and who is it that needs the love and compassion of God. And the last point today, number seven, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm doing good. I got two minutes left. This worked out perfectly. <laughs> hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It was considered very dishonorable for religious people in a time of divine service or on a Sabbath day to have on a garment spotted with anything. If a priest's garment was spotted and he performed service in them, the service was not right. So what's that do with you and I? This is the, the idea here is this. A Christian, a believer in Christ, you and I, all of us, we are called by God to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Now, let's be honest, that's a difficult task. How do you stay clean in a dirty world? Come on, how do, let's be honest. How do you stay clean in a world full of sin? If you don't believe that, where do you live? <laughs> Amen. What news are you watching? We live in a very fallen world, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. And so how is God going to help me stay right in a world that's full of sin, full of carnality, full of division and strife and immorality? How do you stay clean? The Bible says in James 1 and verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So God says to you and I, we are not to be polluted by the world. We are not to think like the world. We are not to act like people of the world do. We are to keep ourselves in God's love. We are to pray in the spirit. We are to live our lives as if God is watching us. That's how you live your life. See, one of the marks of the Great Awakening revivals is that people had a God consciousness. And when you have a God consciousness, you don't need to be watched. You know God's always watching you. So the truth is here today, as a believer in Christ, we are to guard our eyes, we are to guard our mouth, and our ears. We call those gates. When I worked in the school with those kids, we had a song, which I won't sing today. Praise God, I won't sing it. Amen. I won't embarrass myself. But we had a song we sung to the kids. Be careful of the eyes, what you see. Be careful of the ears, what you hear. And be careful of the mouth, what you say. That applies to a 6-year-old as well as a 36-year-old. Amen? I don't care if you're 6 or 46 or 56 or 80 for that matter. Guard your eyes. Guard your ears and your mouth. Those are all gates to your heart. Amen, somebody? What we see, what we say out of our mouths is going to affect who you are as a believer. So we have to do what the Bible says in Proverbs and keep your heart with all diligence. 
for out of it flows the issues of life. As I close today, Psalms 1 says this well concerning this last point. How do you keep yourself unspotted from the world? I'm out of time, but I'll read this. Psalms 1 says it perfectly. Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man, or the lady, that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in a seat of the scornful. And let me warn you, when you do this, you will be criticized. You will be told you're just too religious. Come on, you got to be ready for that. That's what my family told me. They were mad we couldn't drink at my wedding. I said, we're not drinking at my wedding. You're just too holy. That's fine. I'll take that. You're not drinking at my wedding. Amen. I'm being honest. They talked about me, still don't like me because that's, that's okay. I'm going to serve God over what you think about me. See, that's what's wrong with so many Christians. We are so afraid of rejection. I'm coming for you now. We are so afraid of our family not accepting us. And we need to get to a place where we say, you know what? I'm going to honor God. And if you don't like it, oh, that's okay. God's pleased with me. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to honor God. And if that makes you uncomfortable, you're going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to serve Christ. So blessed is the man who doesn't compromise. Blessed is the woman who doesn't allow family or anyone else to convince you otherwise. A caution of the spirit. A caution of the spirit that says, I don't care how good you look. If you're not saved, we're not getting married. Okay, I'm coming for you. I don't care how good you look. You don't believe in God. You don't read the Bible. We are not getting married. I'm going to serve God. He's planted like a tree that brings forth his fruit in season. His leaf also should not wither, and whatsoever you do shall prosper. Amen? Let's give God some praise today.